Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I think the only way to change it is to make everything reviewable. The NFL doesn't want to do that because the NFL, quite as it's kept Tony, they enjoy a little bit of the human element, a little bit of subjectivity. Right. Otherwise, we would have robots calling every file. We would just have everything being reviewable. But the league doesn't want that because there's a little bit of the human element. Think about this. In 2022, we still have two dudes holding yard markers with chains deciding whether or not we have a first down. <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All righty then. Uh, let me do something uh, for the local community in Washington, D.C. This is from Rami Kandel, who writes, I was reaching out to you to inform you that this Saturday, November 19th, that's in one day. Yes. Because today's November 18th. We'll be celebrating, by the way, November 19th is Wilbon's birthday. Oh. November 19th, we'll be celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Dinner of Champions supporting inclusion at Camp JCC. This year, as always, we're inducting a great group of people into the Greater Jewish a Greater Washington Jewish Sports Hall of Fame, of which I know you're a proud inductee, I am. This year, as always, we will be having hot dogs and corned beef. Michael, I know you were wondering. The woman to whom I'm related by marriage and I are co-chairing the event. The money we raise ensures that families of children with disabilities pay no more than families of typically developing children. I'm not asking you to come because I know you only leave your attic for weddings of your children, walk your dog, or play golf. If you would mind just... If you would not mind just asking for a shout-out as we are having a raffle. Yes, yes, a raff- raffles are good. Raffles are a painless way of contributing money to a great cause because you have a chance to win. Right. You have a chance to win on a raffle, any raffle out there. Um, so here's where you, where you go to buy a raffle ticket. Bender, B-E-N-D-E-R, J-C-C-G-W. Bender, B-E-N-D-E-R, J-C-C-G-W.org to donate or buy a raffle ticket. And one of the raffle items is a gift card to Bethesda Bagels. How great so is that? little should do that. Yes, Bender you, you JCC. Had me at hot dogs. <laughs> Bender JCC GW. Did they sell us some of those knishes? One of the greatest mm. things that ever happened to me uh, at that dinner, and it may have been the dinner I was inducted in, or it may have been one of the dinners that I hosted. But it was when Rob Eighties was still walking the earth, and I was hungry, and Rob, and there was a long buffet line, <laughs> and Rob would go up to the front of the buffet line. <laughs> And he would, and there's always a woman at the front of the buffet line. And Rob would say, excuse me, dear, excuse me. Tony really needs to get something to eat. And I would, <laughs> Rob would just take me right to the front. Excuse me, dear. It was just so great. Love, Rob. Here's another thing we want to get to from Victor Charlap. On Wednesday's show, you talked about D.C. about to get some snow this year. Here in Buffalo, Friday has a possible snowfall estimate of 36 to 48 inches, which is three to four feet for those who can't do the math. You talked about D.C. getting two to six inches for the season. They're predicting we will get that in an hour. I know this is going to happen because the Weather Channel has sent Jim Cantore here. Uh The city of Buffalo has already canceled school and garbage service for Friday, that is today, and most government offices are closed. The governor of New York has also already issued in western New York State a state of emergency. Don't worry about me. I have two four-wheel drive vehicles and three boys, 17, 15, and 10, to help me shovel out. You will see what we get when the Bills take on Cleveland Sunday. Well, actually, we will see it from remote because the Bills are taking on Cleveland in a game that has been moved indoors to Detroit, which I think is a wise idea. Yes. I mean, and it's for what Booger said, the safety of the people who want to go to the games. Now, the problem is if that's a home game for Buffalo – 
you lose one game on your season ticket plan. I mean, a lot of people will make plans to go to Detroit. I don't think it's that far. Can you look up how far it is to drive from Buffalo to Detroit? Sure. In terms of flight time, I'll bet it's under 40 minutes. And it's the personnel that needs to work the stadium the yeah, hours a lot of people, that lead up to the game. A lot of people who would be put at severe risk. I'm sure those fans would love to tailgate in nothing but feet of snow. Yeah, yeah. This says, Can't be that far. This says uh, four hours and 16 minutes, about 255 miles. Okay. All right. So there you go. Now, the one way so to guarantee... So that's the distance between New York and Washington. Yeah. The one way to guarantee that you could play this game in Buffalo would be to send Luke Russard in his blue jacket to do some live reporting. Yeah. Then you know it's going to miss. Yeah. Luke would be great. <laughs> uh, a couple of things to start out with. Mm. Uh, apparently, I was reading the Washington Post online last night after Michael told me about this. It, would you find out, please, if, if the woman who was the chair of the committee the Democrat-led committee who was investigating the Washington football team, Carolyn Maloney, I believe she lost in a primary. I believe she's no longer a congressman, but you could look that up. I think she's from Virginia. I don't think she's a congressman anymore. But anyway, because the Republicans won the House by, I don't know, six, seven seats or something like that, they just said, this is over. We're done with this investigation. We're the majority party. We're done with this investigation. A lot of you will scream and yell about that. I won't, and I'll tell you why. I think they were just spinning their wheels anyway for publicity. I, don't, I honestly don't believe that there aren't better things for a congressional committee to do than investigate a football team. I, I mean, really, I just thought that was a power grab for publicity on the part of the Democrats is she still in Congress? No, uh, from what I can gather, she lost in a, in a primary. They, primary. They, they did a redistricting and she lost yeah. to Jerry Nadler. Yeah, so she's out. She's out. So You're out, Tom. Oh, so she's in Virginia. No, she's no, not in Virginia. She's in New York. New York, yes. Okay, so, so, you know, and they don't run it and she's not in it. You know, so to me, I wouldn't do that. And by the way, can you raise, uh, raise your hand if you're surprised that the cryptocurrency thing went down the drain? <laughs> Michael, what is cryptocurrency? Again, you've, you ask me this every year. I'm not going to give you another uh, bad attempt at explaining this. It's tulips. <laughs> I believe you had, yeah, had it for the tulips. It's tulips. What was the country that did that? Holland. Holland. That's it's right. tulips. Yeah. It's, what are you doing? It's not, it's not backed by a government. It's not backed. I'm not saying it had to go down the drain when it did, how it did. But it was going to go down if the government wasn't involved, and the government probably should have been involved to protect the citizenry. But if they weren't involved, it was the Wild West. Yes. Come on. Raise. I sit here. I'm pretty happy about this. Not that it went down. I'm happy I never contributed any money, and I never was going to contribute any money. Yeah, do you I'm believing it. Do you remember the ad with Larry David where, where he, you know, kept He's saying, being sued. Yeah. Matt Damon is being sued. Yeah, Tom Brady, Giselle. They're being sued. Steph Curry, yeah. They're all the ambassadors for, the, for that brand. I'm not sure that's a wrongful lawsuit. Yeah. I'm not sure. Well, they knew this wasn't backed by anything. I think. Although you, it's your money. You know what? It's your money. Do with it what you want. Aren't they what say, do you think, Michael? Probably in, can't say. Yeah, in-game betting. Do what you want. Yeah. I think they're saying it's sort of like an Enron deal, and so they're trying to get some money. This is billions of dollars that got lost. It's a crazy uh, The name story. that is being floated out there to buy the Washington football team, by the way, now that the investigation is done, 
just never, one of never the gonna investigations. Be yeah, there's a lot. The Carl yeah. Racine is doing it. It's a good year not to be a season ticket holder. Everybody's doing it, you know, but one of them just went down. Uh, so the name Jeff Bezos is out there. We've talked about this before. Jeff Bezos has enough money in his pocket to buy this. He is worth over $100 billion. It takes, does it take $100 million to make a billion or $1,000 million to make a billion? I think it's a thousand. It doesn't matter. It doesn't we matter. Need Gary, for that matter, it, yeah. it, it just doesn't matter. He's got the money. The yes. tens start to run. He together. can write a check. He doesn't have to write a check. He can it's... shake the sofas in his house yeah. and give you enough money. All right. But it is also true that a better franchise, as of right now, a better franchise, the Seattle Seahawks, are up for sale, and Jeff Bezos is a Seattle guy as well as a Washington guy. More a Seattle guy than a Washington guy, probably. And he could be the owner of that team that doesn't have nearly the troubles that the Washington football team does. So uh, Jeff Bezos, by the way, also the owner of the Washington Post, and when they go to him for a comment, he tells them to, you know, pound sand. He's not going to talk His girlfriend him. likes football. Yeah, that says, Lauren likes football, so what am I telling you? I don't know. <laughs> if you were the league, would you rather have him in Seattle? Or would you like him closer to, D, uh, closer to Congress? I think I would rather, if I was the league, and I think I'd rather have him in Washington. Yeah. Now, he's a full partner in the league. He does the games. He bankrolls the Amazon games, one of which was on last night that I'll get to in a second. So that, that's what he does. Um, they're not going to refuse him. It's wild. If he says, I want to buy this team, they're going to say to all the other bidders, thanks. Well, Excuse me, dear. Tony needs to have some food. <laughs> Excuse me, dear. Jeffrey needs to have. And this, this is where team. it gets complicated for the the process of groups putting together the money to buy one of these teams because you know at the end of the day he can walk in and say, "What's the number plus one?" That's it's all and and a, and it's a business. Yeah. If I'm the NFL, I want Jeff Bezos. I want him in the league. Speaking of that game, that was I watched the first half. That was old fashioned football last night. That was run the ball and. You know, make the clock move. Shorten the game. That's what Tennessee likes to do, shorten the game. Although, if you key too much on Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill is an adequate quarterback. He's probably between 10 and 15. He can, he can win a game for you if he has to win a game for you, yeah. which he did. on The first drive was so easy. Tennessee went down and scored in eight plays, 65 yards. You know, it was really easy. Then uh, Green Bay was stopped, then Tennessee was stopped, then Green Bay went down the field. And you said to yourself, this is a game. And what happened was, with about four minutes to go in the first half, because I was watching and I remember this, there was what I thought was a turning point play. There was what I thought could have worked out to be the most important play of the game. The same thing happened on Sunday between Minnesota and Buffalo. It was the fourth and goal from the one And Minnesota said, we're going. And Kirk Cousins tried to sneak it in and got stopped. And you say, at that point, Minnesota loses the game. Because nobody anticipates Josh Allen is going to fumble in his own end. So this was a play. Uh, Mike Vrabel, and I will add parenthetically about Mike Vrabel, I don't believe he ever coached for Bill Belichick. No. But he is the best former player or coach or assistant to Bill Belichick as a coach now. Bill O'Brien's okay. Everybody else is a dog, and he's the best. He's been to Tennessee six or seven years. They always make the playoffs. They get beat, but they're a solid team. And Mike Vrabel, who's a big guy, was a defensive player, 
and uh, appreciates what big guys do in football. He's got the best runner in football. Derrick Henry's the best runner in football. Nobody would argue this. Maybe somebody in New York would argue for Saquon Barkley. But Derrick Henry's the best runner in football. And he'd been pounding it out. He'd been making yards after he was hit. And they got a fourth and one at about the five or six. It's not at the goal line. You know, and it's 7-7 game. And they eschew, as we say, kicking the field goal. And Mike Vrabel just says, let's go. Because Mike Vrabel is a hard-nosed football player. And you can pass there, but there are two reasons you don't pass there. One is because the end zone compresses your ability to send five or six guys out and run different routes. And two is because you got Derrick Henry. So I'm thinking, and you're thinking, and everybody's thinking, they're going to hand the ball to Derrick Henry and let's see if Green Bay can stop him, and they do. They stack him up. They push him back. He's not even close to the first down. It's a great play. It is great play by Green Bay. And I think to myself, turning point play. And it isn't. Because Green Bay doesn't do anything. And Tennessee comes back and gets a touchdown. And they get a, a second touchdown. And then in the second half, it's not close, right? Right. It's not tied. It's not. Or am I wrong on this? I don't think it was tied. What's the line score? At the halftime, it's 14-7. It's 14-6 because Green Bay missed the point. Which, by the way... If you go up 10-6, that is then a two-score game. If, if, one of the, you know, if you don't get – you can get a field goal and still not tie the game. I don't think it was tied. Can you look at the line score? Yes. Uh, it was – yes, 14-6 at halftime. And then, uh, yeah, Green Bay got 11 points in the third quarter. And Did tight. they ever go ahead? Uh, oh, they got two 11. But uh, they got 11 alone. No they, no, they never did go ahead. They no. never went ahead? No. Okay. Did they ever come within one point again? No, they got to, uh, it looked like it was 20 to 17 was as close as they got it. Now, at that turning point play, were you looking at the, uh, the win percentage for either team? No, because I don't follow the next-gen stats. I'm not, me and Wilbon don't, don't do the SBI, the BPI, the FBI, the UPI. We don't do that. But I thought the game would go the other way. And now I look at Green Bay at 4-7, and seven, and now I don't think they're going to make it. And the yeah. wobbly passes? I don't think they're going to make it this yeah. year. Yeah. And I thought... You know, I thought Brady and Rodgers and... Well, they've got a, a history of that. You know? I don't think they're going to make it. One small note, Aaron Judge and Paul Goldschmidt won MVPs in their respective leagues. Paul Goldschmidt is very deserving in the National League, was up around Triple Crown numbers for most of the year, was on a playoff team. Not going to argue with that. I'm not going to argue with Aaron Judge because he got to 62 and because he kept his batting average up. He finished second in the league in batting and could have won the Triple Crown. So he's deserving. I'm just going to say the guy who finished second in any other year is going to finish first. Right, Michael? Yeah. Otani's going to finish first. His numbers as a pitcher and a hitter are fabulous. He's the only guy doing this. He's the only guy in 80 years doing this. You know, he's, he's actually the MVP. Judge deserves this. But Otani's actually more valuable to his team. You played baseball, yeah, isn't he? So now, would you see a trade happening for Otani, uh, just given what he's done these last two years, and then you look at Judge and you think... You can't get equal value for Otani. It's impossible. No. But you You'd have at, to trade Verlander and Bregman. Right. <laughs> but you look yeah. at Judge, the timing to get this at the con, you know the contract year and just the way the well, season ended, where he himself. get to the number, and the ball itself, how much the ball's worth, and you're just waiting to see yeah. what the Yankees offer is. But... 
if it's just money, if Judge doesn't want to leave, Yankees will give him enough money. They always do. Yeah. If he wants to leave, that's different. I will be very subversive in what I'm going to say now. He will never have a year like this again. Roger Maris, that nobody does. They never have this year again. If there was a great right fielder out there who was available, a Mookie Betts right fielder out there who was available, that's the trade you make if you're the Yankees. But I don't know if there is if that's available. Yeah, because you're buying high right free now agent for um, Judge. And the sounds that Judge remembers are the booze. Well, you know, he made. I, I don't. He's from Northern California. I don't. You never know yeah. what somebody wants. But Aaron Judge is in a position now. He's in the rare position to do whatever he wants. So you have to think that wherever he lands, that's exactly where he wanted to land. Right? I yeah. think so. Yeah. He's, he's in the old driver's seat. We'll take a break. Uh, Paul Feinbaum, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. One, two, three, this is a song called Last Night. It's off an album called Early Years, the sixth album release by our friend Jim Baznight. Um, he's already been on Radio Indie Alliance and um, on Rodney on the Rock on Little Steven's Underground Garage last week. He's done a lot of songs for us, and we like his work. Jim yes. Baznight, we're going to play him again in a little bit. This is called Last Night, and it plays in Paul Feinbaum. So we're going to start this whole thing with Feinbaum on a very personal level. We're not, you know, we'll get to football in a second, but this is personal. You're a graduate of the University of Tennessee, are you not, Paul? You went there. Uh, that is correct. Okay. When they were number one, now in your lifetime before they have been number one, but not in recent years. They've gone through really hard times at Tennessee. How did you feel when they were voted number one in the first poll? It, it felt great, Tony, um, but what was even bigger than that was what happened a month ago when they beat Alabama. When, when you go to the University of Tennessee, uh, as I did in the 70s, there's only one thing that matters, and that's beating Alabama. And I can tell you, I've seen very few, very few wins over Alabama in my, uh, in my lifetime. Never happened while I was in school, and uh, there have been these incredibly long streaks of 11 years, of nine years. So that really opened the door. Being number one, it felt fleeting because any person uh, with a working brain that follows football knew what was coming in in four days, and that was a trip to Athens, which was likely to be a loss. So it was one of those things. It's like, remember being back in high school and somehow the the homecoming queen uh, in her drunken stupor dances dances with you for a second. Uh, and realizes that uh, you're not you're not the quarterback. You're the nerd uh, covering the team <laughs> for the school paper. <laughs> I like that. Um, Tennessee's strategy now, in order to make the playoffs, Tennessee's going to pile it up. If they can score 50, they will. If they can score 60, they will. If they can score 70, they will. It's a strategy that I understand. 
So let's let's get to the end game question. If LSU beats Georgia, and we don't think this is going to happen, but if Tennessee is a one-loss team and piling it up, and LSU beats Georgia, and you rule the world, who gets in, Paul? Well, the the winner of that game will get in. Uh, so that's LSU. Georgia will be the next team. And, and then I think, Tony, it depends on Ohio State, Michigan. If, if Ohio State beats Michigan, uh, they'll get in. Yep, for sure. And and then I think you have you have two other uh, situations going on here. Uh, TCU. I don't think TCU is going to win out, but they've surprised us until now. But if they do win out, they will get that spot. Undefeated, uh, have to get it. Yeah. And then the, the the real card, I think, to keep your eye on, because I'm going to move TCU out of the equation. Okay. I think it's, it's Southern Cal. Southern Cal has UCLA this weekend, Notre Dame next weekend, and then somebody in the in the Pac-12 championship game. And I think if, if USC runs the table, they'll get in over Tennessee. Tennessee, you know, this committee, which I hate to talk about, and I know you do too, they love conference championships. It doesn't matter whether it's the Ivy League or the Big Ten, but that they, they put a lot of premium on that. So they would very likely choose the conference champion of the Pac-12, assuming it's SC, which, by the way, only has a loss on a two-point conversion. And I, and I, I know people think it goes beyond that. Hey, SC's L.A. market. I don't, yeah. I don't think this committee really cares that much about that. Uh, they're, 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 they're too deep in the weeds to think like you and I would think. So, so but LSU, if they win, they're in even with two losses, right? They're yeah, in. Because they they that's the biggest one of the year, beating Georgia. And, I, and they'd yeah, have to beat Georgia in the state of Georgia, right? The game's in Atlanta, and yeah, LSU has a loss on a on a on a conversion, a missed extra point against Florida State in the first game, and then yeah, they have but, a twenty-seven, yeah, twenty-seven but. point loss against Tennessee at home. But they've made up for that by by getting on this uh, incredible roll and beating Georgia, which would be the number one win of the year in college football. That cannot be ignored. So you wouldn't jump up and down and say, "Hold it, hold it." We have a head-to-head. We pounded them. We've got to go. Well, it depends. If I was on your show, I would. If, uh, <laughs> <laughs> normally, I would. I would probably not. I, because I, I guess the, I, I hear this stuff so much. But it's a fair. It's a fair statement to make. Except then you. You. It, it's like playing poker. Okay. What the next? The next card would be that Georgia beat Tennessee. So that makes the argument a little more difficult. Right, right. And then, then LSU beats Georgia. So. It's a never-ending game in college football, Tony, as you well know. I, I love it. Um, I do. I didn't grow up with it, and I love it now. You're not old enough to have been at Tennessee with Ernie Grunfeld and Bernard King, are you? Were you there for that? Uh, I, I, yes, I am. Uh, I covered Ernie uh, in my when I was the school sports editor, and uh, it was one of the. I, I, I was a college basketball fan in Tennessee. And the football team sucked. Uh, and and Ernie and Bernie were the biggest show in town. They were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I remember. I remember. And uh, the, uh, Curry Kirkpatrick, I think, wrote the story. And it was uh, the most exciting thing during my four years of college from a from a sports standpoint. Why did you go to Tennessee? You didn't grow up in Tennessee. Why did you go I there? I did. Uh, oh. Interestingly, uh, even though all my family except me, I'm the only I'm the only non New Yorker in the family. Even my sister was born in New York. They moved to Memphis literally as I was. Being oh, I didn't asked. realize that. Okay. Yeah. So Memphis, I, I, Memphis is the rendezvous. That's the greatest ribs yeah. in the world. Yeah. Like if you go I, into the rendezvous, do you get a table right away? Because I'll go with you if you get a yeah. table right away. Oh, yeah, I, 
yeah, I, I think Nick can find us a table. We're, we're in good shape there. Because I got Jesse McCollum here, right, Michael? Jesse's from Memphis, too, and he can just walk in there. That's the best. That's the best place. All right. Um, Wilbon and I talked about this the other day. I, I, I hate the idea of a 12-team playoff in college football. I hate it for a variety of reasons. I prefer six with two buys. That's me. I can go to eight. Where are you on 12? I was a, I was a six advocate as well, but it didn't work. Tony, here's the problem. It, it's going to be approved, and I understand your, your reluctance. But, see, you do a national show every day. You, you're talking about countless other subjects. I'm stuck with college football, so therefore it wouldn't bother me if it was 64. Right, um, right. Because it, it really – it's getting better because for, for – think about this. For six years, the only two schools that mattered – in the college football playoff for Alabama and Clemson. That's right. It was the same story every year. So I I think it is going to dilute the regular season yes. games like Ohio. Like, yes. But, I, but let me argue to back that the NFL is pretty exciting, and, and everybody, you know, you know that it, it's, it's going to become the NFL. Okay, who first round by? It's going to be the same arguments you hear right now about whether this team needs to win out to, to, to avoid going to Buffalo as opposed to uh, you know, college football where you lose and, and you're a dead man. I like when you lose, you're a dead man. I like that. <laughs> if you tell me I'm going to get more psyched up for Ohio State-Michigan this year as undefeated teams than I would if there was a 12-team playoff where they're both going to get in no matter what. If they lose 45 nothing, they're both going to get in no matter what because they're just going to be one-loss teams. And you know, Paul... In a 12-team playoff, every one-loss team from a major conference is going in. Every one. No, you're right. But the problem with college football, and we thought we thought the four-team playoff, Tony, was going to solve the problems, but it didn't. And what happens now is we get to December, and if we go back to 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, everybody, we cared about who was going to the Cotton Bowl or the Citrus Bowl or, what, or the Blue Bonnet Bowl. That the problem today is nobody cares if you're not at one of those four. That's so right. That's right. You get you get to December and and yeah, you put the TV on if you have a of a, a bet on the game, but it, it's just it's just window dressing. The games don't matter. The players don't want to play. Remember a couple of years ago, Leonard Fournette said, "I'm not I'm not playing in the stupid bowl game," uh, and then everybody else started following suit. And w- w- the playoff doesn't really solve that, but it, it draws more interest in. The ratings. Uh, I know your your, your bosses because you uh, aren't going to like yours. This. Yeah. They don't. They're, they're not. They're not going up with this playoff. We have there are fewer people watching the playoff today than there were at the beginning. It's not very compelling. Uh, and then the New Year's Six bowls just are 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 they're, they're placeholders. They're background the noise. They're background yeah, so noise. Nobody cares. College, go ahead. Yeah, college college football had to do something, uh, and I, I think this, because. What, was, what they were doing simply wasn't working. And some of it was Alabama's fault, let's be honest. That leads me to something on Alabama. Saban's out. They're not making it this year. I don't know him because, I mean, I don't like him, and so I don't really want to know him <laughs> because of the way he treats the media and scapegoats the media all the time. But you have to deal with him, and you've known him for a long time. Is he indeed a gracious loser? No. 
Good to know. Uh, he, uh, I don't think he is. Happy. Um, Makes me happy. I mean, he, he will probably fire his two coordinators uh, at the end of the season, that, of which Alabama will have gone 10-2, and two, yeah. and finish, I'm guessing, sixth in the country. Uh, that gets your contract extension at most schools. But I, 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 have, I have had the fortune, Tony, being old enough, to have covered the last three years of Bear Bryant. Yeah, in the early eight, and I am seeing some similarities here. I mean, Bryant was sixty-nine when he retired and died. Saban is seventy-one. Saban is much a much younger-looking yes. guy. But but I'm seeing there's just and you've you've covered enough of these guys where all of a sudden you go, what happened? Uh, and I'm 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 seeing that with Nick Saban. He there there are inexplicable mo- moments in games where uh, last week. He forgot to call a timeout in a critical situation. That, that's not like Nick Saban. Uh, he, he, he allowed Tennessee to march down the field and beat him uh, in Knoxville. He allowed Brian Kelly to surprise him with a two-point conversion in overtime. Saban said, I, I wasn't expecting it. Why not? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's a great – he and Belichick, I, I don't like either of them because I've been around them personally enough to not like them. Saban lied to my face when he was coach at Miami. But they're great. And maybe there comes a point where they are not as devoted to it anymore as, as they once were. Do you think that's possible? Yeah, and Tony, I, I, listen, uh, I, I try to relate things to your own life and, and experiences. And I think as you get a little bit older, it's just, I mean, you're as smart and you're as good, but it's not quite as easy. And I, I don't think he has prepared himself uh, I, I just I think sometimes you don't you don't think it's ever going to end, and then it's a little bitty thing. When this season ends, if you go back over the last five years, he will have one national championship in the last five years. That's that is a that's terrible in Alabama during his tenure. He he's won six national championships uh, in his fifteen years. He's lost in three title games. Yeah, so he it's gets not there. Hard to do the math. He's been there every year. He gets there. I'm listening to you talk about Saban. I think you're talking about me. It's time for me to hang it up, too. I'm older than no, Saban. No, yeah, I'm older than Saban. I'll get you out of here on this. You mentioned USC. Lincoln Riley, um, do, you, do you see him winning championships, plural, in college, or do you see him going pro? I think ultimately he'll go to the pros uh, because – College football, for some of the reasons you've already explained, it's just not quite the big show anymore. Uh, and Lincoln Raleigh, to me, looks like the kind of guy that uh, he'll, he'll give it a run. I think he will win a title. I don't know if he'll win multiple titles because that's very difficult. Uh, and he'll be, he'll be wooed by the money. I, I think the guy in Tennessee, the same thing could happen to him. I mean, these are offensive-minded geniuses. And the lure of going to play with the best players, it sometimes, not sometimes, most of the time, is too much. Yeah, I agree with that. Paul, it's so nice of you to come on the show. I would remind people that you know more about college football than anybody in the world. And I hope people watch and listen to you. Thank you, Paul. Tony, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Paul Feinbaum, boys and girls, we will take a break. Maybe we'll have Carville. Maybe we won't have Carville. But we'll have Jeff Ma when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Jim Baznight off his album, Early Years. He says, Early Years consists of my best early music brought up to today by a wonderful 2022 remastering job by Grammy winner Gary Shelton. He says, the album captures a real rock and roll spirit, which is timeless and veritably fits right in with the best of today's indie rock and roll and power pop. This is a great little note. Of the 20 tracks on the album, that's a lot, only two songs exceed three minutes. None four minutes or longer and three less than two minutes long. A purposeful nod to the golden era of AM pop, which is great. This is a song called I Return. It's going to play in Jeff Ma. If people like Jim Baznight, Michael, want to send in their original music, how do they do that? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com with proper approval. And yes. are we still doing TK Gobble? TK Gobble, yeah. Get ready for Thanksgiving. The Sully Quarter Zip. Ready for all your holiday needs. TK Gobble. And by the way, did you say the producer for this was Gary Shelton or Gary Templeton? I didn't hear that correctly. I said Gary Shelton. It wasn't Gary Templeton? No, Gary Gary Templeton was somewhere between second and third trying to steal a (laughs) verse. Jeff Ma joins us. Jeff Ma got crushed last week. I'm not saying anything that Jeff doesn't know. Um, Jeff was one in four last week, missed on the college game. Notre Dame, minus 16.5 over Navy. If that game went four minutes longer, Navy would have won outright. Missed on the Jacksonville, Kansas City, over 50.5. I would have taken that one, too, I think. Got the Chargers because it was a six-game thing, and he was getting seven. When you have a bad week like that, do do you go back on it? Do you look? Do you think you made mistakes? Does it change you for the next week? I mean, not really. I mean, the... This is a long season, and any sort of arbitrary sample sizes could lead to you know losing, right? I mean, right. you're talking about five games um, over. Like it, it's like flipping a coin, right? If you flip a coin five times, um, you could get heads all five times. That doesn't mean your strategy that you think a coin is a fifty-fifty chance is is off. And so, you know, again, like it's a big thing for professional betters is to look at a long sample size and to stay even over the course of the season and keep doing what they're doing. I mean, you know, you said that the, you know, the Notre Dame game certainly was, uh, you know, Navy came back big time, but Notre Dame was up by 22 at halftime. Right. And for whatever reason, called off the dogs or, or let up and, you know, that, that happens. So this is an interesting question then, and I hadn't thought of it before. Do you think in either college or the pros, a certain type of coach is less likely to run it up on a particular school or opponent? Yeah, there's definitely, we've talked about this on Beth the Process, to be honest. Like we, we had a guy on where we talked about coaching tendencies. Um, there's some theories in college that uh, a lot of times the college coaches know the point spread and they are trying to cover for the boosters at some of these big colleges where they can kind of like dial up the score that they want to dial up from time to time. Um, there's been you know thoughts that the Bills have been a team that, depending on game state, will continue to try to score and 
other teams aren't quite the same. Um, you know, early in the season, it looked like the Eagles were a team that really took their foot off the gas and, and went to more of a run mix in the second half. So, yeah, I think the problem is like there is a lot of uh, noise in a lot of this analysis. So if you try to really analyze coaching tendencies over time, you're going to end up with pretty small sample sizes yeah. to do analysis, and you're going to end up drawing conclusions that may not be there. Now, a lot of this, again, tends to be anecdotal, and if you're willing to sort of take a chance on a hypothesis and go after it, then, then maybe you would. But um, generally speaking, it, it, there are tendencies. I think it's just hard to predict them. Yeah. I mean, the reason I bring that up is because it's Navy, and it's a service academy, and Notre Dame is is the most honored of all of the college football teams. And maybe when you play Notre Dame, or you play, if you're Notre Dame, you're playing Army or Navy, and they always play Navy. Maybe you go, you know, we had enough here. We're not, we're not going to run it up. And I wonder if you think about that. I mean, I think you're living in kind of a fantasy land no, right that's now. That's fine. You'll say Notre Dame is the most honored university. And, and you know, but, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's potential that at halftime, they're up 22. They look at it and they say, do we need to run this up on Navy? No, we don't. You take your foot off the gas and then all of a sudden Navy makes a couple plays and you're in yeah. a dogfight and you got to try to get back in there. It's like in, in the NBA, you see it all the time when teams are up a lot of points and they take out their best players um, and they're all sitting on the bench and all of a sudden the other team comes back and they put those best, those good players back in. Those, those guys have been mentally checked out and by That's the time right. they come back in, their they, game's they, over. They, yeah. Yeah. Their game's over. Let me get to the Chuck Todd point. Chuck Todd said that underdogs between three points and ten points have so far this year gone 48 and 26. The underdogs in that spread are winning at a 65% clip. Does your research confirm this? And if it does, do you have a theory about it? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, it's definitely true. I mean, I think the three to ten is sort of very arbitrary, and that, that's what that's what I would say to you on on some of the stuff. Like, you'll see this a lot of times with these touts that are selling picks. They'll give you these trends where they're like, oh, you know, off of the loss where they've flown more than three thousand miles and they're playing before you know the the summer solstice or so, and they come up with all of these yeah. strange, right? You know what we call data mining patterns. Um, you know, I, I think that there is, and we say this every year, there's, you know, more parity in the NFL than usual. Um, I think one of the things is that home field has every year gone less, become less and less, um, because teams are, you know, becoming more familiar and flying and everything. There's a lot of theories about where home field comes from, but the thing that is clear is that every year it seems to diminish more and more. Um, so that's another thing. But the, the problem with that Chuck Todd uh, stat is that it is simply a historical stat and it has no reflection of going forward, right? If you say, okay, all of a sudden I'm going to start betting on those underdogs, my guess is you will not win because these things, markets tend to uh, react to these things and tend to adjust. Um, and so, you know, they, every, that stat that you know or that Chuck Todd knows, it's not a secret. Um, a lot of people are talking about it and so it will over time correct. And, you know, again, just because it's historically done that over, what, 10 weeks or whatever. It doesn't mean that it's going to do it going forward. And so I think it's very dangerous to look at something like that and try to really draw a theory about it without really having any idea of whether it's going to be predictive going forward. Okay. Give us your games this week. Okay. I'm going to take the first game 
Uh, what do you guys have on the on New England? You have three and a half or three? Uh, the Patriots. Hold on, where's the Patriots game? I had three, but uh, I don't... I've got, it's three and a half now. New England giving three and a half now. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting game because when the line came out, I really didn't get it. They played what three weeks ago, and it was in New York, and the the Jets were a, a two and a half point underdog. Now they go to New England, and New England's only a three-point favorite was what it opened. I, I think it makes sense that it's going up, but I'll still take New England minus the three-and-a-half. Okay. I'm going to take Vegas plus the two-and-a-half over Denver. Um, just two teams like this you know, that are pretty mediocre to bad, um, I'll take the points. Um, the Josh McDaniel thing is super interesting right now. I mean, they can't fire him because they – they can't pay 17 coaches at one time because they keep firing them, so they're going to have to go with them. And so I think he'll get this thing turned around, and I, I like them plus the two and a half. Let me, ju- let me just uh, respond to that. He's been a terrible professional head coach. I was saying earlier in the show that Mike Vrabel is the only guy associated with the Patriots, uh, even though he was never an assistant there. He played there a bunch of years. He's the only guy who became a coach who seems to be any good at all. Maybe Bill O'Brien. Maybe he could make that case. But Josh McDaniel has been terrible, and you've got a locker room where your lead guy, your quarterback, Derek Carr, is, is saying, there's some guys here who don't care enough. Isn't that a bad situation? It does sound like a bad situation, but um, there's still a lot of talent on that team, and this is the NFL. These guys are professionals, and they're, they're not just playing for a coach. They're playing for their job. Right. So I think those kind of narratives tend to be overblown. I mean, you hear about that kind of stuff, and it's you know it's a story that people want to run with, but um, again, Vegas is a, is a more talented team than Denver. And, you know, Russell Wilson has just been He boring. stinks. He his, stinks his at the moment. Like, yeah, and he has no ability to pick up blitzers or anyone around him. He's got, like, seems like he has no peripheral vision anymore. And, huh. I, you know, I expect Vegas to be able to get some good pressure on him. Okay, what else? I'm going to take the Bengals minus the three and a half over Pittsburgh. Um, just think that this is a really important game, obviously, for Cincinnati and, and you know, this is a revenge game from the beginning of the season, all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, since he is really going to be any kind of a team this year, this is a game that they're going to need to win. And, and, you know, hopefully they can win this game comfortably over a Pittsburgh team that's, I think, you know, playing for next year a bit and, you know, offensive with, with their quarterback choices and whatnot. So, okay. um, like, since he to win. And I'm going to take a couple college games. I'm going to take Ashley Baylor plus the two and a half over TCU. Um, you know, going into the season – uh, Baylor was arguably like the top team in the Big 12, and TCU was sort of in the in the you know bottom bottom half. Um, TCU has clearly outperformed what everyone thought. You know, Sonny Dykes has been great, and he has been um, yeah. whatnot. But I think this is a you know like a, a last stand for Baylor, and I they have I think they have more talent than TCU, and at home getting points, I, I like Baylor here. Were you um, Paul Feinbaum feels the same way that TCU that the the boat's going over at some point with TCU. Were you not, though, impressed that TCU went on the road at Texas and won that game? Like very, they, very impressed. Like, they can go on the road and win, right? They know that now. So, yeah, They were actually a seven-point underdog in that game, and it just reflected the fact that people still don't think they're very good. And people actually do think Texas is better than, than their record would indicate. Yeah. But, yeah, TCU for sure going there and winning that game and, and yeah. pretty much dominating Texas in many ways was impressive. Okay, what else? I'm going to take LSU minus the 15 over UAB um, for Carville and just uh, you know, as a tribute to him. Um, but I think, you know, this is a game where you would normally look at it and say, oh, LSU is in a letdown spot because 
you know, they're playing a non-conference team and a team that they'll should beat easily. But um, I do think LSU and Tennessee are thinking about style points a bit. Hundred percent. I think they will try to run up, run up these scores. And so, I, you know, I think our friend with the Southern accent, is, with the bad Southern accent, is going to probably try to run this up here. BK, as Booger calls him, <laughs> BK for Burger King. All right, Jeff, thank you so very much. You can listen to Jeff and Rufus on Bet the Process, and I appreciate this, and I hope you win all of them this week. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Tony. Jeff Ma, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, Five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. That's Ian Warrington. He's playing all the instruments. He's pretty good. What if I told you he was an emergency room physician? (laughs) He went to medical school, graduated. He's an emergency room physician, and he does this. You can hear hear the boots stomping. Pretty good. On a PBS period. Oh, sure. That's (laughs) a a great Irish folk song. A little pub song. Um, Bethesda Bagel ad, please. Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. That's just about it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, and Nigel has written this, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. That is the late, great Rip Torn (laughs) in Dodgeball. But his better line is the five Ds. Oh. Dodge, duck, dip, Dip. dive, and dodge. Dodge. (laughs) That's just a hooligan. That was very... It's the second dodge. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for our guest today, Paul Feinbaum. Carville didn't join us, but he gave us his picks. We have them. I'll tell it to you at some other point. Jeff Ma... Thanks to today's sponsors, Freshly, Masterclass, Vincero. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. From Conrad in Phoenix, I am a happy little owner of many of the products promoted on the show, a $500 toaster, $2,000 chair, $600 fire stove, and $100 coffee subscription. My email today is to inquire if Nigel would consider a retainer to officiant a future marriage ceremony. Although I am at this time happily married, I fear my wife's patience with purchasing overpriced products promoted on this podcast is fading and will eventually lead to its demise, and I will end up at an altar needing an officiant. From Reese Knott, K-N-O-T-T, the service only lasted 15 minutes? Nigel's still invoiced for the full hour, right? Did you invoice for the full hour? Of course, yeah. It's just standard, yeah. From Jason Singer in Chicago, Illinois. This is a great travel time, Nigel. (laughs) Listening to Joe Ippolito's Christmas Hallmark movie pitch last Friday, I had a brand new kind of David Aldridge moment. About halfway through your recitation of his missive, I exclaimed, hey, I know that plot. I was in a movie with that plot. That's right, summer 2021. I was cast in a Christmas movie on a different network, the Ion Network, which I sincerely refer to as the Refugee Hallmark Network. (laughs) It was called The Christmas Thief. 
almost mirroring the stated plot in every other way, including a, a gazebo and a big city gal married to justice who falls for the cop. There was one major difference. The heroine's father was still very much alive. I know this because I played the dad. We shot outside in the burbs of Chicago during one of the area's hottest August weeks, weeks with fake snow and heavy winter clothes, for which we received no stunt pay, by the way. <laughs> Finally, it aired last November, and when it premiered on the network, my brother called me soon after and stated, that was a rough watch, <laughs> which I could understand it being fairly nonsensical and broken up every 12 minutes by Medicare commercials featuring Katie Couric and the ghost of Wilford Brimley. <laughs> so while I can't recommend it as viewing, I do hope you will allow me to be the official bad Christmas movie character actor of the Tony Kornheiser show. It would look so much better on my resume than the Christmas thief. Cheers and mazel tov on the occasion of your daughter's wedding. Thanks for the laugh. Here's one from Joe Ippolito. Last week, when my idea for a heartwarming gazebo-thieving Hallmark movie not only made the show, but provided the episode's title, it was clear I was on to something. I hadn't yet heard back from Greg, but I'd gotten through Nigel's screening, and being somewhat familiar with the uniform code of board ops, I knew I was in. <laughs> Having booked my ticket to L.A. in order to surely meet with my newest collaborator, I arrived at JFK with a spring in my step. I breezed through check-in business class, what am I, a farmer, and headed to my gate. As I waited, I downloaded Monday's episode only to find that Mr. Garcia was, in fact, not ready to partner on a Hallmark-style movie parody. In the hopes of sparing him the error of the season, please allow me to present a vision as told by the ghost of Christmas movies yet to come. A man sits at a desk in front of a blank computer screen, the surrounding room a mess. Coffee cups sit in various degrees of completion, their contents slowly aging alongside their master. The bulletin board behind our man is a collage of unidentifiable nonsense, save two items. A headshot of Margot Martindale, unautographed, and a tattered, faded document, so bedraggled by time and frustration that it now appears to say, Frost Bug State. The cursor <laughs> continues to blink, but the ideas won't come. Suddenly a knock on the door, a sound all too rare these days. A sorely needed royalty check, perhaps? He sprints downstairs and finds not the postman, but Melissa Etheridge, here to drop off yet another round of mail she's receiving in error, all of which is perplexing addressed to dead Burt Reynolds. Pointing to a copy of Variety on the top of the stack that's been gathering on the doorstop, she asks, Have you seen that yet? Best Christmas movie in years. The cover story she's referring to, an in-depth interview with a previously little-known director of a runaway Christmas hit, an enterprising chap from back east, one Jerry Negrelli. Asked in the interview to attribute the film's unbridled success, Negrelli simply answers, I trusted the writer. Others thought it was too niche. In truth, I don't know what exactly Greg and I will write together, but I knew they do know that Dan Byrne has already composed the theme song. <laughs> this is so niche. It is so niche. Yes. I don't know Jeff, Joe Ippolito. I'm inclined to believe he does this for a living. It feels like it. it yeah. just, he just doesn't it, Michael, doesn't it yeah. sound like he really knows what he's talking about? Yes. And that he and Greg will talk soon? <laughs> I just can, believe that. can only hope. From Matt in Jerusalem, I recently relocated from Washington, D.C. to Jerusalem. Plans were released yesterday for road construction in the San Simon neighborhood here, and I'm hoping some Israeli littles can help me navigate any displaced traffic resulting from the road work. One of my favorite shawarma places is right nearby, and I'm concerned about being able to stop and pick up food. <laughs> from Alex Lau in New York City, does anyone know how long the scaffolding will, will be up for at 8th and Broadway in Manhattan? I'll hang up and listen. It's just wonderful. And from Buddy Maxwell, recently you had occasion to talk about the World Cup in Qatar. There was debate about how you pronounce it properly. 
I lived in the Middle East for 15 years, including some time in Qatar. There is only one way to pronounce it correctly. It is Qatar. It is never Qatar. I just heard two different people on MSNBC say Qatar, as they usually do, which reminded me of your discussion. Every person in the region, Emiratis, Saudis, Kuwaitis, Bahrainis, Yemenis, Omanis, and Egyptians as well, although in Africa, not the Middle East, and most importantly, Qataris, say Qatar. There are no substitutes. Years ago, a diplomat from the United States called it Qatar, and despite being corrected, he continued on with that. The media picked on it from interviews with him. There are also no countries called Iraq or Iran. They are Iraq and Iran. These three wrong country pronunciations are all United States creations and cause eye rolls to residents in the Middle East. And with that bit of knowledge, if you're out on your bike tonight, as always, do wear white. Later, he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom, boom goes, goes the dynamite. The dynamite. <laughs>